All right, friends, if you have your Bibles, please turn them with me now to 1 Corinthians chapter 14. Uh, last week, Mark Prater was here uh, because I was homesick um, to cover the first half of this chapter. I recovered. Yesterday, I came down with something. I'm a mess right now. Please forgive me. Um, but we are going to continue here through 1 Corinthians chapter 14. We're going to look at verses 26 to 40. This is God's word. Paul says, what then, brothers, when you come together, each one has a hymn, a lesson, a revelation, a tongue, or an interpretation. Let all things be done for building up. If any speak in a tongue, let there be only two or at most three, and each in turn, and let someone interpret. But if there is no one to interpret, let each of them keep silent in church and speak to himself and to God. Let two or three prophets speak and let the others weigh what is said. If a revelation is made to another sitting there, let the first be silent. For you can all prophesy one by one so that all may learn and all be encouraged and the spirits of the prophets are subject to prophets, for God is not a God of confusion, but of peace. As in all the churches of the saints, the women should keep silent in the churches, for they are not permitted to speak, but should be in submission, as the law also says. If there is anything they desire to learn, let them ask their husbands at home, for it is shameful for a woman to speak in church. Or was it from you that the word of God came? Or are you the only ones it has reached? If anyone thinks that he is a prophet or spiritual, he should acknowledge that the things I am writing to you are a command of the Lord. If anyone does not recognize this, he is not recognized. So, my brothers, earnestly desire to prophesy and do not forbid praying in tongues. But all things should be done decently and in order. Amen. May God bless the preaching of his word this morning and give me strength in the pre preaching task. Amen. You know, I think many of you would agree that there is really nothing worse than, than meetings that we have to attend that have no purpose to them, right? At work, when someone calls a meeting and then 45 minutes goes by and you begin to realize that all of the content of that meeting could have been covered in a nicely crafted email and that none of you really need to be there at all. That's the worst. There are some great memes out there about the pointlessness of our meetings. One of the memes said, can we please call a meeting to discuss how pointless all of our meetings are? Another said, I'm not convinced we've wasted enough time on this topic, so let's continue this meeting tomorrow morning at 9 a.m. Another said, are you lonely? Are you tired of working on your own? Do you hate making decisions? Hold a meeting. You can see people, show charts, feel important, eat donuts, impress your colleagues, and all on company time. When we gather for a meeting, having clear purpose and clear guidelines is essential. Otherwise, it's a colossal waste of time. No one will benefit from it. Friends, the same is true when we gather together on Sunday mornings for this meeting here. 
God is not in, interested in wasting our time. He is a God of order and a God of purpose. And so the meeting that he calls us to attend each and every week has a very clear purpose and goal. This is not something to miss out on. This is not something that you should be able to snooze your way through. This is not a meeting to roll out of bed and hop on Zoom for. This is not something that we should just think about as secondary. No, God has good in store for us here. There's a clear design and a purpose for our gatherings together on a weekly basis. And by his grace, we as a church can follow his design and purpose so that we might benefit, so that we might be built up. Having clarity on why we come together is so important. The main idea for our gathering or for our sermon this morning is this. We gather to hear from the Lord. Amen? We gather to hear from the Lord. And we have four points this morning. Point number one, the call to gather. Point number two, the content of our gathering. Point number three, the clarity of our gathering. And point number four, the center of our gathering. Those are our four points. Let's go ahead and begin with the first point. Number one, the call to gather. Folks, it, it needs to be said that the priority of the Sunday morning gathering has fallen on hard times in our day, hasn't it? Isn't it true that here in America, we tend to minimize the importance of the Sunday gathering? Statistics clearly show that most Christians in America think that if they attend church or even just fellowship group one to two times a month, that they have experienced all that God has for them and that they don't need anything more. And so if they're tired from a busy week, or if they have a birthday party to celebrate, or a football game to watch, or a house project to begin, it's okay to miss church because, well, we've attended at least once or twice already. But church, this is an area where it is so important that we have biblical convictions for ourselves and our families rather than cultural convictions. The clear design and expectation for the redeemed people of God from the pages of our Bibles is to attend church very, very regularly. To have this be a constant part of our lives. You can see the call and expectation right here in verse 26. Paul says, what then, brothers, when you come together? He doesn't say, if you happen to come together. He says, when you come together. It's his clear expectation that we will gather regularly together. And we see this in much more than just this verse. Really, all of chapter 14, as Paul has been discussing the gifts of prophecy and tongues, he's, he's talking about all of the spiritual gifts in the context of the gathering. He's not speaking, talking about spiritual gifts outside. He's talking about where, how we practice these things in the Sunday morning meeting. And he talks about these things as happening regularly in our lives. Verse 23 speaks of when the whole church comes together. 1 Corinthians 14 assumes that the church is gathering on Sunday mornings all the time. And it's not just in chapter 14. 
Throughout the whole letter, we have seen Paul use the words among you, and oftentimes the most natural reading of that is not just in the general sense, among you as a church family from Monday to Saturday, but rather in a very specific sense, among you as you gather together. And Paul says it in other ways as well. Chapter 5, verse 4, when you are assembled in the name of the Lord Jesus. Chapter 11, verse 17, when you come together. Chapter 11, verse 18, when you come together as a church. Chapter 11, verse 20, when you come together. Chapter 11, verse 33, so then, my brothers, when you come together. Chapter 11, verse 34, when you come together. In in chapter 16, when Paul's talking about some of the very practical rhythms of the church, he speaks of certain things as happening every week. It is a clear assumption of Paul and every New Testament writer that we as Christians would gather regularly together. This is to be a constant in our lives. Every single week, whenever it's possible. The the, the purposes that we've seen Paul have for the Sunday morning gathering, they can't be accomplished if our attendance is, is only occasional. The picture in the book of Acts is that the people of God devoted themselves to these things. Hebrews chapter 10 commands us not to neglect to meet together as is the habit of some. Church, I think that we know this, but I think it's good for us to remember together that the The constant practice of God's people in the Old and in the New Testament is to come together on the Sabbath to receive from the Lord. The Sunday morning gathering is not optional for the Christian. If you desire to go on to maturity as a Christian man or woman, if you desire to disciple your family, church matters. We must resist the temptation to think of our Sunday gathering like all the other meetings in our lives. God is not like your boss at work calling random meetings. He's not like the committee chair or that community organizer who just wants to spend time thinking out loud together without any clear intention or purpose. No, God's design is not to waste our time. His design has always been, listen, to feed and to strengthen, to encourage and to envision his people through a weekly gathering together. It's so good of him to give this to us. Listen, God does not need Sunday morning gatherings so that he can receive something from us that he is lacking. No, he calls us to gather because we need this weekly time together. We need the weekly encouragement and strength that comes from it. In our text today, Paul speaks of the priority of these things as a command of the Lord. Why is it a command of the Lord? Because the God of this universe wants to meet with you, Christian. He wants to speak to you. He knows that you need to hear from him again today. And so he commands you to gather. And he knows that you're going to need to hear from him again next week. So he commands you to gather. Private devotions are wonderful. We should prioritize them in our lives. But private worship does not compare to corporate worship. God has called us to do this together. And so can I continue I'm sorry, can I encourage us to continue to prioritize and value the Sunday gathering together? Now, you're here this morning, and so you clearly value it in some way, but let me encourage all of us to think really practically about how we can increase the value of the Sunday gathering even more in our lives. 
This probably, the picture that we get in 1 Corinthians probably has application to how we think about the frequency of church. One to two times is not enough each month. We should be here every week if we can help it. It probably has application to being on time on Sunday mornings and not just wandering in whenever you can get here, but being here ready to engage and ready to prepare your heart for what God has for you. This probably has application to how we pray in advance, praying as a family as we go to church, praying on Saturday mornings as we prepare our hearts. There's so many applications here, but the a clear expectation from Paul is that we would attend church and prioritize church in order to receive from him. Friends, that brings us to point number two, the, the content of our gathering. Look at verse 26 again. Paul lists several spiritual gifts, all of which can and, and should happen on Sunday mornings. Sorry. He says, when you, when you come together, each one has a hymn, a lesson, a revelation, a tongue, or an interpretation. Now, this is clearly not a complete list of what happens on Sunday mornings because Paul doesn't list praying or the public reading of scripture or even the Lord's Supper in this text, though he speaks about those things elsewhere. And he doesn't do it here because those things are not spiritual gifts. Paul is talking more about the spiritual gifts that are to be exercised here on a Sunday morning during this meeting. And friends, here's what I want us to notice about this. All of these gifts that he lists are word gifts. They have to do with hearing from the Lord. And this clearly points to the content, what our, the content of our gatherings should be. It should be to hear from the Lord. And so Paul's not prioritizing the gift of prophecy or tongues over the gift of hospitality Monday through Saturday necessarily, nor is he saying that to sing a hymn is inherently more spiritual than being generous with our money or serving each other with our time. No, he's simply speaking of the priority of hearing from the Lord when we gather together. This is the content of our meetings. Sunday mornings is, is listen, it's not first about creating gift bags for the community, though we should do that in the name of Christ. It's not first about having drama on the stage. It's not first about preaching about a popular movie out there, those, those, though those things can happen at times. Sunday morning, the priority is to hear from the Lord from his word and through the gifts that he gives to weak people. We need his word. And so Paul says that there are hymns to be sung, whether it's a spontaneous prophetic song from an individual, which we believe can happen, or the corporate singing, the corporate lifting of voices together as we call upon Christ and give him honor. We need to hear the truth of God sung by those around us. It's good for our souls. Second, he says that there's a lesson this is the teaching and the preaching of God's word. We need to be fed by God's word every week. We need truth proclaimed over our lives. Third of all, he says that there's a revelation. And we saw last week in the first half of this chapter how that word revelation is, is tied to the gift of prophecy. A revelation or prophecy is a, a timely word of encouragement from the Lord through one of his people. Fourth, there's the gift of tongues. 
which is a heavenly prayer language that can be practiced both privately and publicly. It's a prayer language in which we adore the Lord. It's directed to him. Fifth is an interpretation. And as we're going to see in verse 27, the only way that a prayer in tongues can happen in public is if it also has an interpretation, if we can understand its meaning together. But do you see the commonality between all these gifts? They have to do with hearing from the Lord, receiving knowledge or a revelation from God. Throughout this text, we see words like to speak and to learn and to be encouraged. Friends, God wants to speak to us on Sunday mornings. Now, the first and the primary way that he wants to speak to us on Sunday mornings is through the reading and the preaching of his word. This is primary. His word is our authority. No other form of hearing from God should ever push his word to the sideline, ever. But, listen, We must not say that the only way that he speaks to us is through his word. Why can't we say that? Because his word doesn't say that. His word clearly says that God desires to speak through songs, through preaching, through prophecy, and yes, even through tongues. Friends, what a blessing. Our God is a God who speaks. He's a God who wants to be known from the very beginning of the universe. He has spoken and his words have had creative and redemptive power. His words have been the strength of his people. His words are life to us because his word is how we get to know him. But maybe you have concerns that opening the door to God, the door to God speaking through other forms than his written word, maybe that is concerning to you. Won't this lead to error? Well, friends, it doesn't have to. Why? Because we have his written word and because we have the ultimate word. Nowhere do we know him more than in the word become flesh. And so even as we consider spiritual gifts, prophecy and tongues, even as we consider spiritual gifts as we enter into this Christmas season, let's not forget that God has spoken ultimately through his son Jesus. Amen? Hebrews chapter 1, verse 1, long ago and many times and in many ways, God spoke to our fathers through the prophets. But in these last days, he has spoken to us through his son. Jesus is the ultimate revelation, the ultimate communication of God to humanity. Jesus is where we both learn of who God is in his character and goodness and learn about how he loves us through his sacrificial love. The life and death and resurrection of Jesus is the ultimate word of God. It is decisive. It is final Which is why we see in chapter 15, verses 1 to 3, Paul speaks of the gospel and of Christ as of first importance, even over these spiritual gifts. The gospel, the fact that Jesus died for our sins, that he is the propitiation for the wrath of God against our sins so that we might have life. This is the ultimate communication of God to his people. But again, listen, just because God has spoken ultimately through his son does not mean that he also does not speak personally and additionally to us in other ways. Now Jesus 
Because Jesus is the ultimate word of God, any other way of, that God speaks to us personally and additionally must coincide with Jesus and make, must make much of Jesus. Listen, any word from God, quote word from God, that steals or drifts away from the gospel is not a word from God. But God continues to speak. He continues to speak through the preaching of his word, the preaching of God's word on Sunday morning. It's a holy moment. God has seen fit to use weak men like me to proclaim truth over his people to give hope. We need this. He continues to speak through prophecy. Prophecy is imperfect. It's not flawless. It's not inerrant because it comes through weak and fallen people, but it's still God's spirit speaking to us and we should be eager to hear from him. He continues to speak through tongues. As uncomfortable as that may make some of you feel today, it's right here in the text. Paul says in verse 39, so my brothers earnestly desire prophecy and do not forbid speaking in tongues. Our God is a God who speaks. And so we should humbly desire that he would speak to us in any and all of these ways. And so let us always, always, always prioritize the inerrant word of God. The Bible stands over us. But let's not also assume that he cannot speak personally and spontaneously to us in other ways as well. And friends, let's also notice how eager God is to use all of us in this. Right? Look again at verse 26. It says, each one has a hymn, a lesson, a revelation, a tongue. In verse 29, he says that we all learn from these things. Redeemer family, let me, let me ask you a question. Do you come to church ready to actively participate in what God is doing? Or do you come passively to receive? Church attendance, according to Paul, seems to be much more active than passive. This is not just coming to, to watch a show be put on. No, this is a, a body functioning together. Even if you don't have the gift of prophecy, do you lean in with humility when a, pro, a word of prophecy is spoken as it may be for your soul? Do you take notes when God's word is being preached, wanting to remember what God says to you in that moment and wanting your life to be transformed by it? Are you eager to serve on Sunday mornings in Redeemer Kids or on function support in order to help other people to encounter Christ? Do you pray beforehand about what God might want you to do while at church, how you might encourage others? Do you come ready to sing? Others need to hear your voice be sung to Christ. We need to be encouraged and strengthened through the corporate worship. Do you come actively or passively? Now maybe this picture of everybody actively participating in Sunday gathering uh, concerns you. Maybe it concerns you that it will lead to chaos if everybody participates in these ways. Well, those are very legitimate concerns. Paul the Apostle actually shares those concerns. And that brings us to our third point. Point number three, the clarity of our gathering. The clarity of our gathering. How, how crazy was your Thanksgiving? Was it crazy? Mine, mine was pretty crazy. I don't, I don't know what kind of family you come from, but I have a very big family, and we were down at my brother's house in North Carolina with, with 25 of us all together in his home. And when we're together, it's, it's wonderful, but it's chaos. 
It is chaos. There's so many conversations all happening at the same time. Shorties like to debate about anything and everything. So there's debates happening all over the room about stupid stuff. There's debates happening about more important things like how the Eagles are better than the Patriots as well. There's little kids running around crying and screaming and wiping snot out of their face. They're the ones that probably got me sick. I'm a little bit bitter about that. There's instruction and encouragement and learning happening all over the place. There's meals being cooked. It is chaotic. There are moments when I was actually trying to have a, a single conversation. I couldn't engage because there was so much going on around me. Anyone else's family like that? Yeah, thank you. Okay, good, good, good. There are moments that if we wanted to communicate something that was important to everyone, there needed to be a moment of getting everyone's attention, silencing everyone, and only letting one person speak. Why? Because something important needed to be communicated, and so we needed order, we needed quiet. Well, friends, because of the importance of hearing from the one who is speaking on Sunday mornings, Paul, too, calls us to bring order to the chaos. We need quiet. We need direction. We need clarity in the Sunday gathering. We need to be able to focus on what God is saying to us throughout the time. And so Paul gives very, very practical application here for us and when we gather. First of all, Paul speaks about how we should practice tongues on Sunday mornings. Look at verse 27. He says, if any speak in a tongue... Let there be only two or at most three and each in turn and let someone interpret. But if there is no one to interpret, let each of them keep silent in church and speak to himself and to God. I love this. I love that Paul doesn't over-spiritualize or hyper-spiritualize the spiritual gifts. The, the, the way that he talks about this shows that these gifts come from the spirit, but they are not ecstatic experiences beyond our control. Now, we have the very clear ability and command of God to manage these things in our own lives and in the church of Christ. He says, it wouldn't be helpful if a whole Sunday morning was just a succession of one tongue after another. And so he very practically says, let there only be two or at most three. He says, don't let the tongues be given at the same time. That would be too chaotic. You wouldn't be able to hear what is said. Focus. Pay attention. Learn from these things. And how do we learn? Well, we learn by there being an interpretation. If there's no interpretation, then that tongue should not be shared in church because it does not build up. It does not edify because it makes no sense. Now, does that mean that if you have the gift of tongues that you can never pray even to yourself on a Sunday morning during the worship experience? I don't think so. If you have the gift of tongues, you can, you can pray to yourself, even out loud, but it shouldn't be to draw attention to yourself. The volume of it shouldn't be perceived by anyone as it being a public tongue for others. Next of all, Paul gives clarity about prophecy. Look again at verse 28. But if there's, I'm sorry, verse 29. Let two or three prophets speak and let the others weigh what is said. If a revelation is made to another sitting there, let the first be silent. For you can all prophesy one by one so that all may learn and all be encouraged. And the spirits of prophets are subject to spirits. For God is not a God of confusion, but of peace. So Paul says many of the same things that he said about tongues. 
He says, let two or three speak. It shouldn't take over the whole meeting. I also love that he says that others should, should weigh and judge what is said through prophecy. He specifically says that the spirits of the prophets are subject to the prophets, meaning they can't just say however much they want or whatever they want to say without any accountability. No, they are subject to others. This is why pastors guard the prophecy mic here on Sunday morning. There's a need to weigh what is going to be said, to test whether it aligns to God's word and whether whether it aligns with what the Spirit seems to be doing in the whole gathering. We take that role very seriously. Next of all is, is the very difficult statement in verses 34 to 35. Paul says, The women should keep silent in the churches, for they are not permitted to speak, but should be in submission, as the law also says. If there is anything they desire to learn, let them ask their husbands at home, for it is shameful for a woman to speak in church. What in the world does this mean? Why does Paul say this? Does he really mean that women should say absolutely nothing at church? Is Paul basically saying, sit down and shut up, that there is no role for women among us on Sunday mornings? Well, there are a few different ways to understand this. First of all, some would say that Paul is showing his, his true perspective on women here, that, that he truly doesn't believe that they should be involved in any way on Sunday mornings. They can't pray, they can't read scripture, they can't prophesy, they must sit down and be quiet. But friends, we know that that can't be what Paul means. How do we know that? Well, if you remember, in chapter 11, Paul has already given very clear instructions on how women should both pray and prophesy on a Sunday morning. He's already given that clear instruction on how it can be done well, so he can't mean here in chapter 14 that they must remain silent in every way. So what else could it mean? Well, others would suggest that Paul is just taking time to explain each of the components of the Sunday gathering. So they look at this text and they see up in verse 26 a list of items, the singing of a hymn, the giving of a lesson, a revelation and tongues and interpretations of tongues. And some people would suggest that he's trying to bring clarity to that list by addressing them in reverse order. So he immediately goes into tongues and interpretation of tongues and then he goes into prophecy and how we should handle prophecy and then he goes into women being silent. People would tie that to the giving of the lesson and they would say that what Paul is doing here is simply saying women shouldn't have the authoritative position of preaching God's word on a Sunday morning. And while actually with our complementarian convictions, we do believe that, that God has given specific roles to men and women in the church, I don't think that that's what Paul is doing in this text. Mainly because he also talks about hymns in verse 26, and he doesn't get around to explaining that. And also because that explanation does not seem to do justice to, to the fact that what Paul says about women here seems to flow directly out of his comments about prophecy and how God is not a God of confusion, but of peace. So that leads us to our third option for what this means. Many, many scholars believe that Paul is, like in chapter 11, dealing with unhelpful cultural practices in the church at Corinth. And so if you remember in chapter 11, the women were told to wear a head covering at, because 
as married women, they were portraying themselves as they prophesied or prayed that they were sexually available by how they wore their hair. And it was unhelpful in a Sunday gathering. And so it seems like there were women in Corinth who were causing some chaos through their actions. And even though they might not have been trying to preach, they were still trying to find ways to have authority and control and significant influence. And and one of the ways that they were likely doing that was probably through loudly trying to weigh and judge the prophetic words that were given, either by themselves or by others. It seems like they were trying to find authority in other ways and to push their influence around. And it's very likely that that's what Paul is speaking to when he says they need to remain silent. It's good that they have questions. It's very good that they have opinions and perspectives. But the Sunday gathering is not the context for us all to express those things. Rather, that should be done in private. And I think that is probably what Paul is meaning when he speaks of women remaining silent. In all of this, Paul is saying in yet another way, church, the Sunday gathering is not a place for chaos. It's not a place for selfish ambition. It's not a place for trying to one-up each other. No, verse 26, let all things be done for building up the church. Friends, if we want clarity about the Sunday gathering we must remember that this entire conversation in chapter 14 about prophecy and tongues, it flows directly out of chapter 13, which is all about love. Do you remember? Our lives and our Sunday morning meetings must be about love or they are worth nothing. Chapter 13, verse 1, Paul says, pursue love and earnestly desire the spiritual gifts. Gospel love and these spiritual gifts are not exclusive to each other. They can be pursued at the same time, but how we pursue them matters. Doing them in an orderly way so that everyone can understand what is being said, that's a loving thing to do. Waiting for an interpretation before just shouting your tongue so that others can understand, it's a loving thing to do. Women not needlessly vying for authority or position that is contrary to biblical direction is a loving thing to do. And friends, love is central, amen? Love is central because we must remember that the point of all of the gifts, the criteria as to whether they are from God or not, is whether they help us to declare, chapter 12, verse 3, that Jesus is Lord. Seeing and loving him as Lord of our lives is the point of everything we're talking about here. And that brings us to our fourth point. Point number four, the center of our gathering. Look at verses 36 to 40. Paul says, or was it from you that the word of God came? Or are you the only ones it has reached? If anyone thinks that he is a prophet, or spiritual, he should acknowledge that the things I am writing to you are a command of the Lord. If anyone does not recognize this, he is not recognized. So my brothers, earnestly desire to prophesy and do not forbid speaking in tongues, but all things should be done decently and in order. Paul, Paul wonderfully powerfully, significantly ends the conversation about spiritual gifts here by orienting us around the one who has given these gifts. 
He says rather sarcastically to the Corinthians, was it from you that the word of God came? Or are you the only ones that it has reached? This is Paul's way of of putting the Corinthians in their place. He's basically saying, Corinthians, stop thinking that you are the ultimate authority on these things. You're not the only ones who have been given the gift of prophecy in tongues. You're not the only ones who have heard from God. No, there are many others that have experienced God in these ways. In fact, he says, if you don't recognize that fact, if you don't have humility enough to recognize that you are only one part of a whole body and that Jesus is the head of that body, if you can't recognize that in humility, then you are not recognized in your gifts. Your gifts are disqualified. How sobering is that? What a warning that is. Church, there are so many people in our day who claim to be prophets of God who speak without any authority or accountability as if they are the ones who have heard from God and the only ones who have heard from God. Paul says we should ignore those people. If they don't recognize the one who gives these gifts, if they do not have humility or accountability before others, then we should not recognize their gifts as from God. We should not listen to them. Why? Because these gifts are given to proclaim that Jesus is Lord. And if that's the case, then they must be done in humility before Jesus as Lord. To practice these gifts as if we, they, we are the only ones who have heard from the Lord and to puff ourselves up in that way is to make ourselves like the Lord rather than to honor the Lord. And that's not what these gifts are for. It's not loving. It's not loving to practice the spiritual gifts in any way that displaces Jesus from the center of our lives to to promote ourselves, to promote our own wisdom, our own gifting is not loving at all. If we are to be a true reflection of who Jesus is, Jesus who loved us and gave himself for us, then every gift must be exercised with Jesus as the focus and the center and with love as the fruit. It just doesn't make sense for our gifts to be done with pride and selfishness or chaos. It just doesn't make sense for a gift whose message is that Jesus is Lord to be done without the love that we have been given from the Lord. If prophecy and tongues are done without love or in a chaotic or self-promoting way, then they're not from the Spirit. They're not from the Lord. And so Redeemer Fellowship, may we, by God's grace, always keep Jesus at the center. May we earnestly desire to prophesy and may we not forbid speaking in tongues. May we practice all of these things even in increasing ways. But may Jesus Christ and his word remain at the center of our lives and at the center of our Sunday meetings. This is how we will not waste time in this meeting. This is how this meeting will continue to be good for our souls and not a colossal waste of time like the meetings at work. We gather to meet with the Lord. Which is why Paul immediately says in chapter 15, verses 1 to 3, Now I would remind you, brothers, of the gospel I preached to you, which you received, in which you stand, and by which you are being saved. If you hold fast to the word I preached to you, unless you believed in vain, for I deliver to you as of first importance what I also received, that Christ died for our sins in accordance with the scriptures. Amen. Let's pray.